Recovery On Air, the official podcast of Crossroads Addiction Rehabilitation. Candid discussion about addiction and recovery with the people who have lived it, along with input from experts on the journey from struggle to triumph. Laugh, cry, and be inspired. And now, your hosts of Recovery On Air, Donna Alexander and Beth Mercado. Welcome to Recovery On Air, the podcast in which we work to break the stigma of addiction and recovery by talking about it. I'm one of your hosts, Beth Mercado. And I'm your other host, Donna Alexander. Uh, Today we have four special guests on um, from the Crossroads Outpatient Program, Carly Peterson, Kyle Cressy, Jennifer Gentry, and Clay. Tell me how do you uh, pronounce your last name, Clay? It's Betcher. Betcher? And Clay Betcher. Welcome, guys. Hello, everyone. So I am first going to do this because I think that we might have misspoke just a little bit and I could be wrong. But Clay, what is your program? It's CAP, right? Crossroads Aftercare Program. Correct. That- it's an aftercare program, but it, it is an IOP or an OP model, depending on the level of frequency a client is uh, deciding to go to. Okay, tell me more. So traditionally, like an IOP, an intensive outpatient, um, it's three groups a week at three hours per group, and then they would have um, case management or individual counseling of up to an hour. So anywhere over 10 hours of um, recovery-related treatment is going to fall into an IOP model. And as our clients progress or as they come out of the residential facilities based on like their needs, we would either put them in an IOP or an OP setting. An outpatient or OP, as I keep saying, would be a lesser frequency. It would be less than nine hours of services per week. Okay, perfect. So I heard you say our facilities. Um, do they? Do, does a potential client have to come just from a crossroads facility, Kyle? No. We have people that are referred from probation. Um, we had one actually referred from out-of-state probation. So it doesn't really matter. The requirements we have are just really that they have access insurance and they have ability to join us via Zoom. So have a phone, tablet, computer, whatever, and uh, access to the Internet. Awesome. So that's a criteria for somebody to join the aftercare program then. Um, So because we are crossroads in general, um, residential substance abuse, treatment facilities and now we have expanded into programs such as your guys i know that one of the things that we still gear towards is our peer support so what i would like to hear from from you guys and we'll start with carly and then go to jennifer and then to kyle and then to clay but i would love to hear just a little bit about each one of you and how you came to crossroads What's your background? Are you more one of our, um, in quotations, educated type people, or are you a peer? What, what's a little bit of your story, and how did you come to Crossroads? Carly, we'll start with you. Um, so I actually found an ad posting. Somebody sent me a posting for the job over Facebook because um, they told me they were looking for somebody, and I fit the description. Um, I had no idea that Crossroads was such a big organization and what it really did until I started working there. Um, 
but I'm also in recovery. I'll have almost five years sober on the 25th. Woohoo! Um, woo-hoo. So, thank you. So, kind of able to use that peer support model to to do case management. Um, and as far as that goes, like I kind of just share my story and help people through their struggles, whether it be just addiction or codependency or co-occurring disorders, and we just set goals around that. And I think having that experience brings like a deeper level of trust and understanding. Um, I'm also in school for social work, and I think that's what kind of helped me get this job because I have a little bit of a background of kind of the social work industry, Um, but I can honestly say that being at Crossroads has helped me like not only in my professional career, but my academics as well. Um, It kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different resources just within the Valley, which is really cool. That's awesome. Thank you. And Jennifer, what about you? Um, How did I get to Crossroads? Well, my um, I'm pretty connected to the recovery community. I had five years in August, and um, Yay. I was working as a yeah. Thanks. I was working as a navigator, and a friend of mine who was working at Extension reached out to me saying that they needed a case manager there. So um, I applied and got the job, and was super happy because working in uh, treatment in a residential facility was a goal of mine. And um, so I worked there for a year and had this opportunity to come to CAP, and here I am. And um, I love being able to get on addict and alcoholics level because I've been there, and um, people open up to me pretty easily. And um, with my navigator uh, experience, I have a lot of resources, so I kind of know the ropes. Uh, well, thanks, Jennifer. Um, Kyle, you're next. Um, how did you come to Crossroads? Well, um, I didn't know about Crossroads, but I had moved to Arizona about a year prior to coming to Crossroads, and that was as a resident. So when I moved to Arizona, I was just having problems with alcohol. Um, took a job working from home, which wasn't the best idea for someone in my situation. Mm. And just kind of got to a point where I didn't have much of a choice except to do something different. And uh, got into Crossroads. Um, I liked the program. You know, it was really working well for me. And I was offered the position or offered the opportunity to work uh, for the organization. And I didn't think it would be a long-term thing, honestly. Um, Nothing like I've ever done in the past, but I really enjoyed it. I really like working individually with clients and uh you know i was making such a big change in my life at that point it kind of made sense to make a career change too um so just been doing that for like the last what i guess it's been like a year and a half now um been with cap since august and just been really enjoying it um i've enrolled now in grad school so working towards a uh, master's and, you know, just kind of going with uh, with the flow of this new program. It's been really enjoyable. Nice. Congratulations. It sounds like you've come a long way. Um, Clay, and how about you? How's your um, your journey with Crossroads? Well, it's uh, it's been incredible, and it's uh, it kind of parallels what Kyle said. Um, I came in as a resident back at the end of 2018, and... Uh, you know, my recovery journey had lasted a while, and um, it led me to Crossroads, and it was honestly the best thing that, that could have happened to me. Um, I did about two months at 
Crossroads West, and then I was um, offered a volunteer position. And uh, in a short amount of time, I was a full-time, you know, team member over there at the residential facility. And uh, during that time, I also decided to pursue higher education, um, and I'm going for my master's as well. And then uh, in a short amount of time, I've grown with the company, and I've been given the opportunity to um, do, you know, running groups and doing direct services with clients, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And kind of like what Carly said, um, you know, being in recovery, it was extremely beneficial for me and the connections I made. And then also it offered an opportunity to have a different career path than uh, the one I was, you know, struggling with letting go prior to uh, to this time in sobriety. Excellent. Um, Clay, we'll continue with you. Tell us about uh, the different programs that we offer for the outpatient. I see we have CPOP, CAP and camp what are the what are those and what are the differences between those the so cpop is actually something that we are in the process of rolling into aftercare um it's a pretrial program um so after the where where we're involved is once the pretrial clients leave the residential facility they are brought into um the aftercare program at a, a lesser frequency they do one group a week and they have weekly sessions with their case manager and since it's um Pre-trial services, it's a little more structured. Um, you know, clients are expected to to make any scheduled aftercare session. As far as camp goes, camp is an on-site, um, like the clients still live on-site, but they Zoom in virtually, which is kind of like a precursor to our program. And it stands for the Crossroads Aftercare Mentorship Program. And those are clients that are um, have shown leadership skills or are possibly even being groomed for a future employment with Crossroads. And they typically do, um, depending on insurance and whatnot, they typically do one to two months in residential, and then they'll do another two months after that. But they will stay on site before transitioning out of you know a structured setting. And then eventually they come to um, the aftercare program where they're either living independently or sober living and that's uh, where we really try to help our clients navigate, you know, the early pitfalls of life outside of treatment. Nice. It sounds like a full circle rehabilitation program. That's awesome. Yeah. We've had some clients, um, they come out of our residential facility and if they do camp and then they do a six months with us, they can have upwards between eight and 10 months of clean time before they fully transition out of Crossroads' care. Nice. Ideal. Um, Carly, we'll jump back to you. Um, so Clay mentioned the pretrial clients. For people who don't understand what that means or what that is, can you tell us um, what a pretrial client is? Um, so basically, I think they're awaiting their sentencing. So they are like facing possible jail time, but they also still want to be sober. Um, I actually don't specifically work with these clients. Clay knows a lot more about them. So I'm going to hand it over back to him. Perfect. Yeah, she um, she nailed it. So they've signed a they've signed a. You know, I don't want to say too much, like in absolutes, but they've reached a, an agreement um, leading up to sentencing to participate in mandated substance abuse treatment. And contingent upon their progress, it can influence what their future looks like. Okay, perfect. So I am going to go to Jennifer and then to Kyle, and then we'll go to Carly and then to Clay. 
But tell me about what you feel is your biggest challenge so far with what you guys are doing, whether it be a specific client and how you had to, you know, work your magic or what has been your biggest challenge? Um, when they relapse oh. is when is challenging for me. I get very, um, and I shouldn't do this, but I get emotionally attached. And um, so it's hard for me when they relapse. And I'm um, trying to talk them into either going back to treatment or um, working with a sponsor or talking to me even and getting them engaged again sometimes can be difficult. Um, sometimes they have probation officers and that helps to um, encourage them a little bit, you know. But I, I, um, I, sp- I really worry about like fentanyl. Fentanyl scares me. So... Um, yeah, that's that's challenging for me. Thank you, Jennifer. And Kyle, what about you? Yeah, I was thinking, um, I mean, just to echo a little bit of what Jen said, um, there's, there's times when we're working with clients where they just show all the signs that they're going in the wrong direction. Um, you know, even guys that have been doing really well for an extended period of time, all of a sudden they just start drifting away and all we can really do is point it out to them. And it's really rewarding when some guys will listen to what we have to say and kind of snap back into it and be like, wow, you're right. You know, I, that was close. But then there's other guys that are like, you know, I have this, I have this down now. Like I know what I'm doing and I can, I'm going to be different from everybody else's story and I can do it my own way. And that gets really frustrating because you, you can warn them, and but you really are just watching as that spiral happens and it's it is very disappointing yes i've i've seen that happen myself it's heartfelt when you're watching somebody go down and it's sometimes because you've seen it so many times before and you're trying to tell them i've seen this please listen and they just don't always but the ones that do and you get to see that light bulb that makes it all worth everything else that we do i think so um carly what about you so I definitely agree with Kyle and Jen, kind of seeing people go on the downward spiral and them not being, you know, receptive to change. Because, you know, it's, it's emotional when you see somebody kind of falling and you can't help them get picked back up. But I think the biggest thing for me, too, is, um, like, handling crisis situations over a virtual platform. Um, because when when a person is in crisis, like we do have people to call to get there, to help them and to get them where they need to go. Um, But for me personally, like it's hard to detach and like hand it to somebody else, like when it's my client, because I want to know that they're okay, you know? Um, So that for me has been probably the hardest part of this job is just, um, yeah, not being able to like directly handle the crisis situation. And of course the relapsing too. Um, I will say though with this job, this is the first time that I've had people relapse and then re-engage in services and get sober, which is cool because I've never been able to to really experience that in my work before. And so it, it gives me a little bit of hope, you know, that even though not everybody is receptive, like some people do want it. So That's awesome. That's amazing. And Clay, what about you? Well, for me, I mean, obviously I would agree with everything um, the rest of the team said, but I think the, the hardest thing, especially when this program first started, was the the telemed or the telehealth like not having in-person connection and relationships it's um 
has been different and it's uh you know it's been successful but at the same time i think anyone in recovery who or who's had success early on in recovery they they thrive off like the fellowship and the connections you can make in person yes a hundred percent agree with that um and as our listeners know i am also in recovery this is donna i am in recovery from substance use disorder myself so you guys have all four kind of touched a little bit on the current pandemic of COVID-19 and how it has somewhat affected what you do, like with Carly talking about the the crisis situation and how it's hard to do that, and Clay with what you just said about meetings. You know, recently I have come to understand with some of our residents that they don't even have a concept of what a live meeting really is, you know, and that just baffles my mind of how people have come into treatment during COVID, not knowing anything about treatment and how they are engaging. So does any of you have anything to put about how this has made your job more difficult or has it made it easier being able to be on virtual and then having people that maybe don't have rides or away or whatever to get to where the meeting is. How has COVID-19 affected what you guys are doing? All the people that have gone through crossroads in really the past year about have had a completely different experience than like what Clay and I experienced. Um, you know, they don't have, they don't have anybody coming onto property and doing regular meetings. You know, there used to be a constant flow of people from the public and now they're experiencing meetings that are just all other residents. Um, and like you were just saying, Donna, it's, they, a lot of these people have never been through the recovery process before. They've never been to a meeting. And so that's their only view of it. So when they get out, it is really challenging to try to get them involved in anything like that because they have no idea what to expect. They're nervous. You know, they're scared. They don't want to do it by themselves. And they don't really understand that sense of community that, you know, the 12-step meetings really provide for people. I agree with that 100%. And it's been, even for me in my recovery, a difficult kind of thing to not be able to go to my live meetings and hug people and have that connection. You know, I have found some that are open in life, thank God, and I go to them. So just for our listeners to know that we are Donna and Beth, and we are with our Crossroads Aftercare Program people, Clay, Kyle, Jen, and Carly. And I believe that Beth has a question now. Um, let's see. Jennifer, let's, let's shoot it over to you. Um, people that have not gone through the program and are possibly looking for some support, um, what, what do you want people to know out there, say they're listening what do you want people to know about our oh, program? What would I want people to know? Well, I think um, once you get out of residential treatment, you're having to go into the real world. And this is like um, training wheels to help you stay connected and, um, and then remind you of all the skills you learned in residential treatment that you may not have been paying attention to because you were in early recovery. Um, you get to hear them again and practice them again and get reminded um, get those memory cells working and um, come back and be connected uh, three times a week 
um, with your brothers and sisters in recovery. Um, it's accountability, and it's just uh, staying connected until you can begin your own uh, journey into the recovery world and meetings out there and have your own support, building that up. That's that's what I have to say. Perfect. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. So, Clay, I'm going to pop this back to you real quick here. So how does someone get um, enrolled, if you will, in the CAP program if they are not a Crossroads um, residential person? Well, they could, uh, you know, access our website or they could reach out to admissions department. And even, um, you know, I think we have some stuff up on social media that has my contact information as well as Kyle's. And uh, I think Kyle touched on it earlier. Pretty much anyone who's seeking substance abuse treatment that has access funding is is more than welcome to become part of our program. And it doesn't have, you don't have to have had gone through our residential facilities because um, the outpatient model, it can either be looked at as like a post-residential like stepping stone down, like Jen was talking about, or it can be viewed as like the first intervention before requiring inpatient treatment. So anyone who is struggling, you know, with addiction-related problems is uh, is welcome to to look into what our program has to offer. And the beautiful thing about it is we have four different um, evenings and one weekend session where we can offer treatment so we can tailor our services around people's personal lives and professional lives when they're out in the real world. Beautiful, Clay. Thank you. And that website for you guys to log on to is www dot the crossroads inc inc dot org and you can find out anything that you need to know about crossroads and our mission our vision and our different programmings on that website and the admissions the phone number for them is six zero two two six three five two four two and they can get the ball rolling for you if you want help Crossroads is there, and we can help you regardless of what type of program that you want. So just give us a call, go on the website, find out about us. We are there for you. Excellent. And is there a specific uh, email address that we can throw out there? Kyle? Um, that's a good question. So we do have <laughs> a new email address for that would be perfect for intakes. It's just cap, C-A-P, at thecrossroadsinc.org. Perfect. Beautiful. So I want to, so we've talked about the troubles and the challenges and all of those types of things. So let's switch gears a little bit. And I would like to hear from each one of you. And we're going to start with you, Carly. Then we're going to go to Jen and then to Clay and then to Kyle. I want to hear your best feel-good story about what you're doing right now. Best feel-good story? Yes. Okay, well, I don't know. There's definitely there's definitely just like a lot of moments, you know. Um I think one of the one of the ones that hit me the most and made me feel really grateful to work in this industry was um completing one of my first clients, like graduating them from the program. Um and as she was completing she was like signed up to get her GED through in peer support classes and like she finally like trusted me enough to tell me that she needs like trauma therapy and she was just doing all the things in life. Um, and it was just crazy because the first couple times that I talked to her, she, like, didn't want to talk to me. 
you know, she didn't trust me. Um, so it was cool to see that over time we developed that trust. Um, and two, just in general, when clients have been with us for a couple months, I get to see them develop trust in themselves and, like, hope within themselves. And usually, like, people come in kind of broken, um, still not knowing what direction they want to go in life and being able to to see them, like, kind of guide themselves through that process and just be a supporter is, like, what makes this job so inspiring, to see people actually start believing in themselves for the first time in, like, years. Um, so I have to say that's probably my favorite part of the job is just people getting that hope again for the future. Beautiful. Uh, Jennifer, what about you? Um, I really love seeing the light go on in people's eyes after they start uh, making some good decisions and putting a little faith into what we all suggest they do in any situation. I recently had one guy who um, just didn't want to do anything different for weeks, and then all of a sudden he did started doing things different, the things that were suggested. And now every time I talk to him, he's so he's smiling, he's beaming, and he tells me how great the the recovery meetings are out in the world and how much he just loves the support he gets from there and so and working with a sponsor and he's just you know doing all that stuff um got a job and and when things turn around because somebody starts making healthier decisions I love that part cuz it's exciting they're excited it makes me excited and I'm I'm just like yay you know <laughs> so I love that it's the best thing ever awesome and then, Clay, how about you next? Uh, that's difficult. I mean, I think it would be the... I've had multiple clients um, since, like, we started this program last June. And I've been able to watch, uh, you know, men and women put their lives back together, um, get their probation terminated, um, get their rights back for for their children. Um, one, one young man started his bachelor's degree. Um, just... Yeah, I mean, slowly watching them put the pieces back together and, um, you know, we say become functional members of society again, but to do it with, like, their own sense of purpose is uh, it's pretty priceless to watch. But another thing is watching clients connect virtually and support each other and literally, like, care about one another is uh, that's pretty special as well. Definitely. Um, Kyle and you. Well, if you want to just, I guess, hear something specific, um, I mean, I have a client who sort of has shown a lot of the things that everybody else just mentioned. As far as he came into our program um, after being at Crossroads, um, but he was in quarantine for a lot of the time. Um, the facility he was at was at COVID lockdown a couple times while he was there. And so he got out and he had been through treatment a bunch of times and he's just wasn't really feeling confident at all about his chances of success. Um, so when he came into our program, he was just really, you know, I had a feeling that he was going to lose his wife, um, his house. You know, he didn't think he was going to be able to go to work. Just had a really low attitude. Um, and working with him just individually, it was just amazing to see his progress, how he was able to kind of take those baby steps to improve his life. Um, you could really just see his attitude change and things started falling together. Um, he's to the point where now he 
has a full-time job. His wife trusts him with money, and their relationship has improved. <laughs> um, you know, like his life has turned around completely, and it's been weird because it wasn't just one particular moment. It was just a slow transition. And then now, six months later, looking back at it, he sees how far he's come. And it's really kind of amazing. And he's actually going to graduate in a week with Yay. six months. Awesome. So it's, it's really cool when it works out that way. And you look back, and six months seems like it really flew by, but so much has happened. Where it's just been drastic changes in his life that hopefully will be lasting. Yeah, that's got to be so rewarding to, you know, really firsthand see people kind of turn it around. Um, you guys are doing amazing work, and what you're doing is so important. Okay, so I have another question for you guys. Are you ready for this one? And Clay, we'll start with you. I'll put you on the spot right out of the gate. So please tell me, how has this job and working with individuals helped you with your own recovery journey? Not your work life or whatever, but with your recovery journey. What have you learned from working with these people? I believe some of the best lessons I have learned is from the newcomer. I mean, yes, absolutely. Because um, we've had some clients that were referred um, by Maricopa County Adult Probation. They had never experienced recovery, um, let alone like a 12-step program or a meeting or anything of that nature. And to uh, to see like the, it sounds kind of selfish, you know, but to see like the desperation that they were in, it was, um, it was a reminder of how I was when I first started um, my recovery journey, which was back in like 2014. And uh, as I've grown with this program and Crossroads, it's definitely... Um, I still learn like from shared experiences and, you know, people's different perspectives. Cause you know, my first thought is that I'm always right. That's not always the case. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, to, and then also working with, with the likes of Carly and Kyle and Jen and the other case managers, I get to see what works in their recovery and can apply it to my own. Um, so it's definitely been beneficial just to be surrounded by, people from all different walks of life with different lengths of sobriety and what, you know, the level of willingness it takes to continue down this road. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, How about you, Jen? Oh, um, I love working with these folks. I mean, I get to see myself every day, you know, by working with them, I um, see myself at different periods of my own recovery and I can identify with them. And I've also learned that um, self-care is super important. I've got to take care of myself um, in order to bring my best to the table for them. You know, so I'm learning balance and um, and I learn about myself all the time. And I learn what defects of character pop up um, and I have to work on them because I'm working with other human beings that are in recovery now, if that makes sense. <laughs> So, yeah, it's improving my recovery, I believe. And um, and like Clay was saying, you know, when somebody is super desperate and they've hit rock bottom, I identify with that. And it reminds me of where, you know, I don't want to return to that, but it, it, it keeps that memory fresh, So which I need. I need to remember where I don't want to be again, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. That's always one of the things that strikes me, too, is, 
I am, like Clay was saying, I am selfish and self-centered, and I do not want to start all over again. I just don't want mm-hmm. to, so I'd prefer just to stay. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And Kyle, how about you? Um, how do you feel like this, your, your part in the Crossroads Aftercare program has helped you on your own recovery? Um, very similar to what I, people say about going to 12-step meetings, people that aren't involved you know, in this professionally. Um, where it's just like it's a constant reminder of who we are or were and where we came from. You know, we constantly hear from people that they tell me the same stories that I used to tell. You know, I'm special. You don't understand my situation. I'm different. <laughs> and it's easy for me to be able to relate to that, you know. And I'll, I'm happy to share my stories and my experiences with them of exactly how I thought and what I've experienced that works and what doesn't work. And some people, not everybody, but are are really receptive to that. And to me, it's just really cool to constantly be reminded of that because it's like as time goes by, we kind of forget about the worst parts. And you almost need to be reminded just by hearing it from other people and then relaying that back, being like, you know, I can relate to this. Here's why. And it it helps them for sure, but it definitely helps me a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then Carly, what about you? Are you in recovery? Yeah. Um, so I'm also a recovering addict and alcoholic. And um, I really think that this job has enriched my recovery a lot because um, I do AA um, and I attend my home group and do all that stuff outside of here. But while attending the group sessions with the clients, um, it just makes me really grateful to be in recovery because the atmosphere we have in those groups is like sometimes it's fun and sometimes we laugh, but other time it's really real and people get emotionally vulnerable. And they say things that just make me, you know, relate to them on a really deep level. And I, I'm so grateful for that because out in society, like, we don't get that. Um, and as an addict and alcoholic, for me, like, I need that sense of realness. I need that sense of vulnerability and that reminder of, like, the desperation, like everybody else was saying. Um, and to be able to carry the message to these big groups of people that don't have the message anywhere else inspires me every day. Um, And I don't know, sometimes we get talking about the stigma of addiction and all that stuff in group, and I find myself getting so fired up, you know. Um, (laughs) We kind of bounce off each other, and, like, we, we, like, we understand that it's our job to carry this message into society, too, you know. Um, So it's cool to be able to have the opportunity to have those types of conversations with people who are maybe really inspired about their recovery or, like, really struggling to get sober. Um, But either way, like, the conversations are always good because I've been on both sides. Um, But it's just crazy. Like, you know, we'll get guys that have, like, a couple days sober in our groups and they'll say something and it clicks in my mind that I should probably be doing and practicing what they're trying to do, too, you know? So it reminds me of, like, how to be better in my own sobriety. And it challenges my perception of what I think I know, which is great. Um, But, yeah, this job has definitely helped just add another like deeper layer of understanding of addiction to to my sobriety I think nice I would agree with you about that you know it's always a big joke because I worked at our flower facility for so long and people will contact me and say Donna I still make my bed every day you know it's like that big thing that that we had in residential is you make your bed every day you know so and and I learned from that as well so I totally understand what you guys are talking about and so, Carly, I have a, a follow-up for you of something that you mentioned briefly when we first began um, to talk is the codependency factor. 
So, and I know that, Jen, you've said something, too, about self-care. So I'd like to hear from you, Cardi. What did you mean by codependency? And do you see that a lot in the work that you guys are doing in this aftercare program? Because it's like you're talking about peeling off the the layers, the onion, peeling the, the onion, and there's the layers. And one of them is just getting to that place where we're clean and sober, and then the next one is how do we maintain that? And then it's starting to work really on us. And I feel like the codependency issue is one of those deeper layers that you guys may be uncovering somewhat in the work that you do. And so I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, you're absolutely right. You know, recovery, recovering people are like little onions. There's always deeper layers. Because the addiction and, like, the alcoholism is just a symptom, right? Because we're treating, treating us. We're treating how our mind works, how we operate day to day. At least that's what I was doing, right? I was trying to get rid of the me problem. Um, but as far as that goes, I think, you know, it, when you go to treatment for substance abuse, um, it's kind of easy to make your main focus, like, okay, I have to abstain from drugs and alcohol. But I know for me personally and for some of my clients I work with, when we go back to that home environment that we grew up in or that we were using in, um, a lot of unhealthy tendencies kind of crop up because we develop these really unhealthy coping mechanisms while we're using there. Um, and right now I'm, I'm helping people kind of work through that by connecting them to outside services and helping them see what it means to kind of detach with love, right? Because, you know, I, for me, when I first got sober, I was empty. Um, I thought that my sole purpose was to help my brother get sober and that was it. And that right there is codependency. And I see that in some of my clients I work with. And so the key is to, like, help them detach with love, but also help them realize that their identity is not enmeshed in another person. And their sobriety isn't another person. It's theirs, you know. So I think it, it kind of boils down to, like, positive affirmation, of course, like, outside therapeutic resources, and kind of rewriting that narrative in their minds and helping them let go. Um, and sometimes, like that can be treated too just by encouraging them to go do things outside of the home to get that new job to sign up for school um things that help them create like a sense of self because that's what i did you know um and i think like codependency um love addiction all that stuff it's super common for it to crop up after a couple months of sobriety because we we reach for anything outside of ourselves to feel okay and that's kind of the natural progression of sobriety is to find all these other layers and treat them you know um but that's also what's so exciting about this job is like we're not just trying to help people work through their drug and alcohol addiction we're helping them learn how to abstain from, like, all unhealthy addictions that could cause harm in their lives. And that usually comes through failed attempts. <laughs> um, but it's cool to, like, help them work through that, right? Because we're not here to control. We're here to guide through their experience. And so the great thing about aftercare is, like, they're in their lives, so they're having that experience that's causing them harm, which makes them receptive to, to feedback and change and goals around kind of how to heal from that experience. Perfect. Okay, yeah. boys. So I know we've been talking to the girls about this, and i got to believe that some of you guys out there have codependency issues. So, Clay, let's hear it. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it, cause, and maybe I don't. I can, I can totally identify with the detaching from love like concept. Um, I've always been insanely independent, like especially with, uh, family, but I think when my struggles were at their worst, I didn't need to be like financially enabled or like 
the bailouts from, you know, jail or anything like that. I think what finally helped at the end that allowed my recovery to finally kind of blossom was my mom did what Jen was just describing. Um, she communicated to me, like, no matter what, I'll always answer your phone calls, but like the, the, the help is done. And I think that firm stance she took was what I needed. Cause I knew like I wasn't abandoned, but I also knew like I had to, I had to do this, you know, and to take it back to the big book, there's a whole chapter called into action. Um, and I couldn't just hope for it to happen or want for it to happen. I actually had to do things to make it happen. So when I, when we talk about codependency, that's like what really comes up for me. And I think when I got to crossroads, having the, the fellowship and the brotherhood I found there provided that for me in a healthy way. Awesome. Okay, Kyle, you're up. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> no, so I was thinking about that as, as Carly and Jen were describing it because they both did it that so well. Um, to me, it's, it's weird how we see people at crossroads and their codependency issues kind of transform. Um, it's easy for me to relate to people that have been at crossroads because everybody has seen the same thing, no matter when they went, no matter when or what facility they were at, they've all experienced people leaving because a significant other needs their help, you know, like they both decide to go to treatment at different facilities and one of them decides to leave. So the other one has to leave. Right. And so because they've all seen that, it's easy for me to be able to relate back to people about that. Um, and it kind of opens that door to the conversation as far as like, well, is being with that person going to be the most beneficial thing for you moving forward in recovery? And it may be that it's a good relationship but they just have problems that are revolved around the substance abuse. Um, so, you know, if people are willing and able to maybe even go to sober living for a little while until they can work on their relationship to the point where living together makes sense. Um, but I don't know. I try to look at it from that perspective where if I can relate to them and, and show them other people's examples that hopefully they can figure it out on their own as far as what will be the best for them. But you know, a lot of people aren't able to make that separation like Jen was saying that she could do. Um, in my own life, you know, it was very similar to like what Clay said. Like, I'm very fortunate that my mom was actually the one who found Crossroads for me. You know, she's like, here, you got to go to CBI. You got to go, like, this is what they said to do to get into Crossroads. I had no idea what the place was, but I just went with it because, you know, I trusted her, even though she was very distant from me, um, living in another state. But same time you know was there to support me and there's nothing more I could ask of her right and it sounds like you had that willingness that is absolutely vital to people who are wanting to get into recovery so yeah it was a necessity so guys um, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you think that uh, that you want to share I think it would just be important to uh, to reiterate that if you are struggling with, you know, alcoholism or addiction-related issues, um, there are Crossroads offers resources that don't require inpatient treatment. Um, and it's not like, you know, the end-all, be-all, like, oh, my gosh, I have to go back, like, I have to go to rehab because it's such an overwhelming 
feeling for people who have never done it before. And there's, you know, we offer mutual self-help meetings as well as our treatment services. And, you know, if you have a loved one or yourself are contemplating it, um, you know, the resources and treatment is available. Um, and I, I think that's kind of like the biggest message for us. And I think that I want to add to, to what you're saying too, Clay, is that this is a perfect opportunity for, especially with the other pandemic going on, the COVID-19, for moms that have nobody to watch their children, but they need help with substance use disorder, or for people who are in rural areas. Um, I know that we have people that come through our facilities that are not necessarily from the Phoenix metro area. So if you're out there and you're listening to us talk right now and you have one of those issues please know that crossroads has help for you please reach out to us again the website www.thecrossroadsinc.org the admissions phone number 602-263-5242 please reach out we have a multiple different types of programs that we can help you with awesome this has been Crossroads um, podcast, Recovery on Air. Um, and we have Carly, Kyle, Jennifer, and Clay with us today um, from the aftercare program. Thank you guys so much for being on the show today. You guys were amazing. Thank you so, so much for all of the education that we got today about the Crossroads aftercare program. Thank, Thank you. For you. All right, and on our next episode of Recovery on Air, we will have our first full segment of So What's Your Story with Travis Culpa. He will be our guest, and we're going to dig deep into his story and his path of recovery. So be sure to check that out next time. Thanks for listening to Recovery on Air, the official podcast of Crossroads Addiction Rehabilitation with Donna Alexander and Beth Mercado. Join us next time as we continue our candid discussions about addiction and recovery. Listen 24-7 anytime to this or any of our shows online at StarWorldWideNetworks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.